0: Merry Christmas! Woo! Man, it is so good to be in the house of the Lord together, um, singing some fun songs. Man, didn't they do a great job leading us? Oh, man. Well, um... Consider this a a minor interlude. They'll be back out here in a few moments to lead us in a a couple more songs, and uh, I'm really looking forward to that. But we're so glad that you're here, Uh, especially those of you who may be guests with us. We do not take lightly the fact that you chose to come and spend some of your morning with us, some of your holiday weekend with us. And uh, we've been praying and trusting that the Lord will meet you where you are and invite you into New beginnings. Because after all, isn't that what Christmas is all about? Spoiler alert. In the Christmas story, God sent his son to this earth by miraculously enabling a virgin named Mary to become pregnant and to bring into this world Jesus, the son of God. The one who would invite us into hope and invite us into joy and invite us into new beginnings. But for a story that is about new beginnings, it kind of starts in a little bit of an odd and awkward place. Um, If you have a copy of the Bible, meet me in Luke chapter one. Luke chapter one. We are going to start uh, looking at the prelude to Christmas. We're going to start where the story starts according to Luke's version of the Christmas story. Luke chapter one. Um, And uh, if you don't have a copy of the Bible, we're going to have the verses up here on the screen. If you don't own a physical copy, please allow us. The privilege of giving a Christmas gift to you. If you head to the guest services area after this service, we'll be glad to get a a copy of the scriptures into your hands. But we want to jump into this story that invites us. And we trust that for many of us, today will be a day of new beginnings. Because after all, that is what the Christmas story is about. We're going to start reading in um, verse number 26. Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 26. Um, all right, here's how it starts. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. So this story starts in a town called Nazareth, which is a really terrible way to start a good story. In Nazareth, you know how there's certain towns that they're like great places to visit, but you wouldn't really want to live there? Well, Nazareth wasn't even a great place to visit. It was kind of eh, not the greatest place on earth. It it was um, this podunk peasant town. Jerusalem was the capital city of Israel at the time. That's where the who's who's lived. That's where the important people, the fancy people who had money and like teeth and stuff like that, they lived in Jerusalem uh, down in the capital city. That's where all the action was. But about 70 miles southwest of Jerusalem was this podunk village that no one knew, frankly, and no one really cared about called Nazareth. Nazareth was where people who who hadn't really made it in life, hadn't really made it in society's eyes, went to live and, frankly, went to lick their wounds uh, a little bit, if we are honest. Nazareth Nazareth, um, was built up on a mountain in a valley which is just strange in and of itself. It was this pit that was built into a mountain. So if you went to Nazareth, you've noticed that it was surrounded by mountains on three sides with only one opening on the south end of Nazareth. And so there was one road in and one road out. And for those of you who are wondering, it's the same same road. Um, in and out of uh, Nazareth, this really strange, strange town. It was so tucked away that if you lived in one of the surrounding villages, you wouldn't even know it was there. So if you didn't know it was there, you wouldn't even know it was there, this insignificant little town in a pit. Podunk, peasant place. Um, Now, there were obviously some perks, to living in in Nazareth. Nazareth, for instance, was a great place if you were trying to hide. Like, if you didn't want people to know where you were, and if you didn't want your high school friends to know, you know, that life hadn't been favorable towards you, you would go and live in Nazareth. It was was a good place to hide. And Nazareth was a safe place because of how it was built with mountains on every side. If some neighboring group of people wanted to come and attack you, you would see them long before they saw you, which would give you the opportunity to fight or flee. But if you lived in Nazareth, frankly, you're probably fleeing. You're probably running, getting out of there. So it kind of had this safeness to it a little bit. Nazareth. Um, the views if from Nazareth, though, the views were majestic. You were up on a mountain, and you could kind of look down and see these glorious landscapes. You could see Jerusalem, you know, kind of way, 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 way off, you know, this town way, way, way off. So you got to live up in Nazareth with these glorious views as you watched everybody else live their perfect lives down below where they had made it a little bit. Nazareth, that's where the Christmas story begins. So God is having a conversation because he wants to bring hope and he wants to bring life and he wants to bring light and he wants to bring new beginnings to the earth. And when God is done crafting his master plan, he taps one of his angels, Gabriel, on the shoulder and said, it's time. Let's take hope to the world. Let's go and announce this new era of hope and freedom and life and joy. And I want you, Gabriel, to go down to the earth to a town called Nazareth. And I imagine Gabriel's like, where? He had probably never heard of Nazareth, not the most awesome place on the planet. God's like, never mind, punches in the GPS coordinates and sends Gabriel on his way, and Gabriel lands in all places to begin this whole new beginning thing in Nazareth. Such a strange place to start such a glorious Story. I love that the Christian story, the Christmas story, begins in Nazareth. And I hope you love that it begins in Nazareth as well. Because as I sit here on this eve of Christmas, I bet that in a, a room this size, there's at least one person in this room who lives in Nazareth. All right, maybe not geographically lives in Nazareth, but at least one person who personally lives in Nazareth. I mean, I bet you if it was a safe place and we could all share and talk to each other like friends, I bet you there's at least one person sitting in this room who feels like your life is kind of a second-class version of everyone else's. Lives. In fact, the second class version of what you dreamed your life would be. Nazareth. I mean, your life kind of feels like it's it's tucked away in a pit where no one really notices or frankly cares about it too much. Your life kind of feels Insignificant. I mean, you go through the motions and and you get through the day, but at the end of it, it just feels like you live in this stuck rut. From where you live, I mean, if you're honest, from your Nazareth, it looks like, I mean, you just get to peer out and peer into the lives of all of these perfect people who've made it and they're living and their dreams are coming true and they can't look, you know, wait to get back to their, you know, homecoming so they can tell everybody about it. But you just get to watch everybody else's life from your personal Nazareth. Your life has been one disappointment after another. Your life has been one heartache after another heartache. So you've actually, in fact, for some of us, we've chosen to live in Nazareth. Because be honest, isn't it safer there? After all the heartache and all the abandonment and all the people who've disappointed you, isn't Nazareth safer? Because your heart is hemmed in in every direction. And it is kept closed and safe. And if anybody comes to try and betray you again or to hurt you again, you will see them long before they see you and you get to run. Nazareth, a safe place to hide. It's a safe place to nurse your disappointments. Nazareth. For some of us, we've chosen to live in Nazareth because, man, if we knew the mistakes you've made and the ways you have messed up in your life, you don't deserve anything good to happen to you. So you've exiled yourself to this place where people just go to kind of live these undeserving lives. You belong in Nazareth. Because really, what good things should happen to you? I'm just saying some of us live in Nazareth. And I love the fact that Luke's version of the Christmas story starts in Nazareth. I love that when God was saying, I want to bring into this world hope and life and joy and new beginnings, the story starts in a podunk, peasant place for people who feel like life is just over. Nazareth. It's another reminder that no matter where you are or why you're there, God totally has your coordinates. He knows exactly how to get to you. No matter how unseen or insignificant or forgotten or undeserving you might feel, God knows how to get words to you. And the word he wants to get to you is a word of new beginnings. Let's start Again, I love how this story starts. In fact, you are sitting in this room and you're listening to these songs and you're listening to this crazy guy up here talking to you because God has tracked you down so that he can invite you into life and joy and new beginnings. The only question is how will you respond? Will you walk out of here into the old, or will you walk out of here into the new? So the angel finds Nazareth and uh, appears to an engaged, peasant, virgin girl that no one has ever heard of. Because before she became Mary, the mother of Jesus, she was just Mary, like Joseph's fiance. She's about 14 or 15 years old. One minute she's sitting in her house, the next minute, boop, angel. Not like her day planned, you know, to turn out. Verse 28 says, the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. Now, there's so much weirdness happening in these couple of verses. I don't even know where to begin, but you know what struck me as I reread this section of the Christmas story? um, You know the thing I found most strange about this really strange part of this really strange story? Verse 29. Verse 29. Verse 29 says, Mary (laughs) was greatly troubled at his words. Mary, this no-name girl from this no-name town, was troubled at the angel's words. I find that hilarious. She was troubled at Gabriel's words. Now, quick review for anyone who might have missed this. Um, An uninvited angel is standing in your little peasant shack. He was staring at the face of God approximately 30 seconds ago, and now he is looking at you in your face, and he is mouthing words to you. And Mary's response after the angel greets him is like, what did you say to me? She is tr- she's troubled with his words. I find this thoroughly amusing. Maybe I just have a superior sense of humor. I don't know. I don't want to judge. It literally says that Mary is agitated. She is agitated on the verge of being annoyed by Gabriel's words. How about be troubled by the fact that like a stranger danger angel is standing in your house? This is so, so funny to me. Get your stuff together, Mary. Mary isn't puzzled by the angel's appearance. Mary isn't puzzled by his heavenly vocabulary. She understands exactly what he's saying. She is puzzled by his words, which raises the question. What would an angel have to say to you to get you to forget that it's an angel saying stuff to you? Well, it's simple. The thing that agitated Mary was when Gabriel said, You are Highly favored. You are highly favored by God. Mary just cannot even handle that. That's what pushes her over the edge a little bit. Because she would have fully understood what the angel was saying. That God knows you by name Mary. And God is fully for you. She hears that and she just cannot even handle it. God sees you and completely surrounds you with his best intentions. He knows you by name. He knows exactly where you are. And he surrounds you with nothing but his best intentions. Mary flips out. Now she doesn't actually say it to the, to the angel, but we know what she's thinking because we get some insight from Luke. And Mary is agitated by the words of the angel because Mary knows Mary. And what Mary knows about Mary is what we now know about Mary is that Mary is a poor girl. Her family is as poor as poor can be. And I don't know where you come from, Gabriel, but in our world, in our culture, no one highly regards the poor. So I don't understand how you can be saying what you are saying about anyone highly regarding me. She knows herself. Plus, I'm a woman. And in this cultural context, I'm considered a second-class citizen. My testimony doesn't even count in the court of law. What do you mean I'm highly regarded? Are you mocking me? And even as a woman, I'm not actually quite a woman yet, technically. I'm still a teenage girl. My voice doesn't carry much weight. I don't have any kids, so I don't have any legacy to speak of, which would at least give me some sense of value in the society's eyes. How can you say that I am favored? And I don't know too much about this God who sent you, but I know enough to know that he is holy. And this holy God does not mess with sinful people. And I know that I've broken at least several of the Ten Commandments just this morning that I'm not going to tell you about. But you're an angel. You may know already. I mouth off to my parents occasionally. I know that I'm a broken, messed up kid. Even at 14, 15, I know that. So are you mocking me or are you playing a cruel joke on me by telling me that somehow the God of the universe sees me, knows me by name, and surrounds me with nothing but good intentions? No one has ever favored me. Look at me. She's agitated by that. She has no problem believing that angels come down from heaven and occasionally have afternoon chats with girls. But do not get carried away and start to talk about the fact that God looks favorably and has the best intentions for me. Because Mary knows. Mary, this agitates her. Just like, by the way, it agitates many of us. In fact, some of us are going to get a little bit agitated as the morning goes on. See, because we have no problem, many of us, believing a God exists. We, we don't even have a problem because we're in church, believing that at some, to some degree or another, this God miraculously enabled a girl to become pregnant and give birth to his son. I'm cool with that. But the minute I start to say, and he knows you by name, he sees exactly where you are, knows exactly where you've done, and he surrounds you with nothing but good intentions. Now you start to feel agitated because you know you. You know the ways that you've been hiding. You know the ways you've been running. You know the things you hope nobody finds out about you. You know yourself. You know the ways that you have messed up in ways that you live with absolute and continual regret. You know that you've not spoken to your dad in months and months because you cannot bring yourself to forgive him. You know that on your way to church, you snapped at your kids and you used less than holy language as you were coming to this holy occasion to celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ. You know the ways you still struggle with addiction and you can't get over it. You know yourself. You know the things you've been trying to hide. And so the moment we start to say, but this is a story in which the God of the universe looks at you and he says, you are highly favored. And I am surrounding you with nothing but good intentions we start to get agitated. And part of the reason for that is because we have grown up in a performance-oriented society. Listen, if somebody's going to highly favor me or want good for me, I've got to do something to earn it. And I know me, and I haven't done anything to earn any kind of favor in the eyes of God. And if you did earn it, then it wouldn't be favor. It would be a reward. But Christmas is not about a reward. It's about a gift. It's about favor. But we get agitated because just like Mary, we struggle to embrace Or understand how a God who is holy could know us by name. And I love that the Christmas story starts with a girl who pretty much qualifies as the last person God should choose. The most insignificant person in that culture God would ever choose. And that's the one the angel comes and says he knows you by name and he surrounds you with his favor and has the best intentions for you. And that's the story of new beginnings, by the way. The only question, Mary, is will you embrace his favor? Will you embrace this truth? Will you embrace that the story of Christmas leads to Jesus saying, and God so loved the world that he sent his son. God so surrounds you with his favor that he sent his son to invite you into new beginnings. Do you believe God has the best intentions for you? I'm just asking because in order to experience God's favor, you've got to first... Accepted. And sadly, for so many of us, we are still standing in a room in a face off with Gabriel looking at him. And giving him all the reasons why we've messed up too badly and we've made too many mistakes for for that to possibly be true. And we're sitting in a room trying to tell him, okay, but just wait. One day when we've made it to Jerusalem and we've fixed our lives up and we're a little bit better, then maybe we'll be able to accept the favor of God. But right now, ooh, favor can't touch me because I'm a mess. And I'm telling you, until you are willing to embrace favor as you are, where you are in all of your mess, the new beginnings don't begin. So the question... Is are you willing to embrace it? Then the angel lets Mary in on some of the unbelievable plans that God has for her. Because when you choose to embrace God's favor, the adventures begin. And check out Mary's. Verse 30 says, but the angel said to her, don't be afraid. Mary, stop being agitated. I know this is hard to embrace. Let me tell it to you again. You have found favor with God. Otherwise, you wouldn't be sitting in this room. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus, verse 32, and he will be great and will be called the son of the most high God. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Mary, not only have you found favor with God, but he has plans for you. You will bring God's son into this world and he will be king over a kingdom that will never end how different again is mary's day going than she had anticipated so god is fully for you and is going to bring his son into the world through you so many questions about that announcement the angel just made but mary asks the obvious one um how verse 34. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? And can we all agree on this Christmas Eve that that's a solid question. (laughs) Solid question. No disrespect, Mr. Angel Guy, but that thing you need to do to make babies, I've never done it. I'm a virgin. I'm no, you know, listen, medical expert up here in Nazareth and whatnot, but I know enough to know no birds, no beasts. No babies. Um, so, I don't know how this is going to happen. And what Mary in essence is saying is, I don't have what it takes to pull that thing off. Now there's another Mary down the road and birds and bees are always flying outside her house. So, maybe you might want to misredirect your message to her. What the angel is saying is impossible. This cannot happen, there is no way, and whoo, that is so good. Because I suspect that in a room this size, there are some new beginnings God may be inviting us into this morning that are going to seem impossible. And maybe he's been whispering them to you for years. And maybe he's whispering them to you right now. And maybe he'll be whispering them to you as the service continues. Things that I've favored you and my intentions for you are more than you can begin to imagine. And the adventures I want to invite you into are going to be impossible for you to pull off where the only question you can ask is, uh, how? Because I don't have what it takes. And I'm a little giddy trying to imagine the thing God might want to do in and through you to make Jesus more real and more visible in our world. Adoption, come on, don't whisper that to me, angel. I can barely keep my children alive. Don't like them that much. And you're telling me, I don't see how that'll happen. We don't have the resources for that. That seems impossible. Whisper, 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 new beginnings, new beginnings. Adventure. Fight for my marriage. (laughs) My marriage has been declared dead for six years now. There is no way. We have tried everything. We do not have what it takes. That thing that you need to do to make a dead marriage come to life. We don't have it in us. It doesn't sound possible. How? And a business that you're asking us to start. I mean, I, I can... I can barely afford to pay my bills right now. How am I supposed to start some venture that's supposed to somehow help Jesus become more real in our world? And all the doctors have said there is no way this condition ever changes. It is what it is and will be what it is. There is nothing anyone can do to change it. And now, God, you're whispering, ask I, I, I don't know how, though. We don't have what it takes. And Gabriel actually answers Mary's question and tells her how this impossibility will happen. And you might want to listen in. This could come in handy. Verse 35. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit. He will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age because of the Holy Spirit. And she who was said to be unable, impossible, doesn't have what it takes to conceive, is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. Gabriel says the Holy Spirit, the end. Just like the mountains around Nazareth have surrounded you all your life. And just like I've told you the favor of God and his good intentions surround you. I'm telling you, Mary, the power of the Holy Spirit will surround you. And the thing about it is when the power of the Holy Spirit shows up and surrounds you, whatever was impossible becomes a reality. All of a sudden, you don't have it in you, but he has all it takes. The Holy Spirit. When he shows up, whatever he surrounds gets a makeover and gets introduced to a new beginning. What was dead can now come to life, new beginning, when the Holy Spirit shows up. What was broken can be made whole again when the Spirit shows up, new beginning. What was messed up can be made beautiful. What imprisoned you has to set you free when the Holy Spirit shows up. New beginnings. All your sin can be completely forgiven, not because you can pull it off. You don't have what it takes to clean your sin up. But when the Spirit shows up, every sin can be completely forgiven and new beginnings. New beginnings. The power of the Holy Spirit. Mary, I'm just here to deliver a message to you. But when the Holy Spirit comes, everything God has said, everything God has promised comes rushing to life. New beginnings. The only question is, will you believe it? And then the most underrated verse ever. This 14-year-old girl with all of her questions and all of her fears and all of her uncertainties says, I'm all in. I accept God's favor, I embrace God's intentions, I believe God's power, and that's the invitation for us this morning, that that we would, with all of our uncertainties, with all of our messes, with all of our questions, with all of the ways we don't fully get it, the question is, will we, like Mary, be willing to say, I'm all in, I don't fully get it? But I choose to believe that you somehow favor me and I accept it. I choose to believe that you surround me with good intentions and I accept them. And I choose to believe that by your power, the things that have seemed impossible in my life that you whisper gets to move aside and give way to reality, new beginnings. She says in verse 38, I am the Lord's servant. May your word... To me, be fulfilled. Then the angel left. Because that's all he needed to know. Are you in? Are you in? And now the favor and the power of God are available to you in this room this morning. His favor, his intentions, his power. The only question is, are you in? Because it will require a response, and sadly, for generations and generations, in the Bible, the story after story, and for many of us, we've gone to service after service, and we've sat, you know, and teaching after teaching, and we've heard the invitation, and we've heard the offer, and we've just sat saying, I don't feel good enough for grace. That's why it's called grace. And we said, I just don't, don't, don't see how it can happen. Well, if you knew how, then it wouldn't be a miracle. It wouldn't be the power of the Holy Spirit. But we've stayed at a distance, and we've not taken a step into these places of new beginnings. And I wonder if God is calling for a different response this morning. Will you say, I- I'm in like Mary. Have your way with me. Today is a day of new beginnings. And for some of us, it's, it's to lean in, into to the Spirit and say, would you surround this brokenness in my body and bring healing? I can't do it. No one else can do it, but you can. And when you do, Jesus will become much greater in our world. And for some of us, that's maybe the request we want to ask him. And for some of us, maybe the new beginning is an addiction we have you know, been imprisoned by for years and years and years, but when the Spirit comes, He has the power to break every chain, and maybe that's what we're saying. I'm in. I release, and I let go of all of my failed attempts, and I just want to say, Spirit of the living God, would you set me free? And for some of us, it's our sin that we've carried, and we've hidden, and we've tried to buff, and we've tried to fix, and it hasn't worked, and he's just saying, would you just come to me and ask me to do by my Spirit what you cannot do by yourself? New Beginnings. The team is going to come out and lead us in a couple more um, songs. And even as we sing, I would invite you to just ask the Lord what impossible thing he might want to work in you and through you and for you. You might want to ask the Lord, what new beginning does he want to invite you into? And I love the fact that I can't tell you what that is, but I'm trusting that the Spirit of God is whispering to you that it's time to let go of your past and your sin and all the things that have kept you from coming to God because you can't fix it. Well, no, you cannot fix it. That's what Christmas is about. God sent His Son to fix what we couldn't, and His Spirit is here and is willing to give you a new beginning. Whether it's an area of your relationship that's been dead and you need the spirit to come and surround and bring life. Maybe it's an area physically in your body, on the body of someone you love, that you just want to say, okay, I don't get how you can, but we're going to ask you and we're going to believe you and we're going to see what you do. But the band's going to lead us and then we're going to a little bit later have some elders up here with their wives. And if you just want somebody to pray with you and agree with you and believe with you um, and say yes to God with you, I would invite you to come on up and do that here in a little while. Spirit of the living God, whisper what you want us to know. Whisper to each of us where you want to invite us into new beginnings by your power because of the favor of our God.